on this episode of The Climate Challengers. If you picture a core filled with paintballs that, you know, you're trying to turn them pink. So you need to leave them in there until everything is fully coated in paint, and then you can pull them out. Studies have shown that uh, this treatment is highly effective for the treatment of patients with prostate cancer. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Climate Challengers. I'm your host, Osama Beg, and I'm excited to take you on a journey today into the world of medical isotopes and nuclear medicine. Most people know that Ontario has nuclear power plants generating emissions-free electricity 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. But how many Ontarians know that our nuclear assets are also saving lives every single day? Here in Ontario and around the world, this is the groundbreaking world of nuclear medicine. An astounding 40 million nuclear medicine procedures are performed each year and range from the diagnosis of cancers or heart disease to the targeting and killing of tumor cells. And Ontario with its Kandu nuclear reactors is a global leader. This complex medical technology relies on what is happening inside our reactor cores, the place where the energy is generated. By inserting specially developed targets into the core and irradiating them with neutrons, we can create a variety of radioisotopes that both diagnose and treat a wide range of diseases. This means Ontario's nuclear sector is not just a source of clean power. It has also created a whole industry for nuclear medicine, boosting Ontario's innovation economy while saving lives. To help us understand how this works and the impact it has on patients, we will speak today with Dr. David Laley, a nuclear medicine doctor and researcher with London Health Sciences Centre. But first, to take us inside the reactor core where all of this begins, we have Jennifer Chapin, the Director of Projects for Laurentis Energy Partners, which is a subsidiary of OPG a leader and innovator in the clean energy sector and a producer of medical isotopes. So Jennifer, welcome to the Climate Challengers. Thank you so much for being here. So Jennifer, could you tell me a little bit about what you do at Laurentis? For sure. So I'll start by just saying that I'm a longtime OPG employee. I started with Ontario Power Generation in 2003 and, and I've had the privilege of working in a number of roles across the company. My role within Laurentis is heading up our commercial projects division. And so that includes a number of really cool isotope projects. So making molybdenum-99 at Darlington, which I believe we're going to talk about today, um, producing helium-3 at Darlington. Um, so my portfolio includes all of that. Um, and we're a fairly large group at this point. So my division has just shy of 50 people in it right now for project leads, and as well as our own engineering team and a strong team of regulatory specialists. Could you walk us through the way in which a radiomedical isotope is harvested from a nuclear power reactor? Because most folks, when they think of nuclear power reactors, it's difficult for them to understand how medical isotopes are produced at the same time that electricity is also being produced. So could you walk us through that process? Sure, of course. So, I mean, for context and history, cobalt-60 um, has been produced at the Pickering Station since 1971. So it's in the medical industry, it wouldn't be considered a radiomedical isotope, but it is very, um, it has a lot of applications that do relate to healthcare and medicine. And that's produced um, with uh, cobalt-59 rods, which are inserted when the reactor's in an outage, and then those are retrieved in, um, in the following outage cycle. What we're doing with the Laurentis project around Molly 99 is very different in terms of how it is we're going to be accessing the reactor. And I think that is part of why there's so many questions coming forward about how exactly you're going to do this without disturbing reactor operations. Um, so the project that we're doing 
with BWXT Medical is to create what we've called the target delivery system, which will interface with the reactor through one of the adjuster absorber ports um, located at the top of the reactor. Darlington has quite a number of unused uh, adjuster absorbers that are locked out of core, and they have been for several decades. Okay. No, so that's really good to know, um, Jennifer. And, you know, say, for example, uh, if you want to simplify that for the general public, uh, because I, I know it's difficult for, you know, for, you know, it's, it's difficult for the ordinary person to understand where adjusters are and, you know, configuration of the reactor or uh, things like outages. How would you simplify that to just like an average person, the whole process? Candy reactors are very much, they look very much like a tin can turned on its side with all of the fuel running sideways through it. Um, and in this case, we have a tube that runs vertically from the top of the can to the bottom of the can um, through the water, but which does not touch the fuel. It's just in near proximity to the fuel. And so those targets are lowered in a little basket down the tube, and then they hang out and then back up the tube. Um, and then they get put in a shipping flask and put on a truck. The shipping flask is roughly the size of a beer keg. It's not so big that it's not easily manageable, um, you know, in terms of putting it in the back of maybe pickup trucks, probably an understatement here, but being able to put it in the back of a truck and send it down the road. Um, the targets are very small in size. The shielding that you require is proportionally small in size. And so the um, to visualize the entire process, I think the tin can works reasonably well yeah I, I think that's a really i think that's a great way of explaining it um you know when those targets are lowered into the reactor uh would you use an analogy of uh, these targets almost being cooked or baked uh while the reactor is operating i would go with baking baking works well so neutrons are what make a, a nuclear reactor run the, the whole deal with turning on a nuclear reactor is essentially you turn on the neutrons and the neutrons start flying around and that's, that's what makes the power. Um, the targets that we're putting in there are absorbing some of those neutrons. So instead of absorbing neutrons and making power, they're absorbing neutrons and becoming activated radioisotopes. So Molly 98 becomes Molly 99 because it's absorbing those neutrons. And so the you know baking analogy works well. Um, paintball analogy works well <laughs> you know it, if you picture a core filled with paintballs that you know you're trying to turn them pink um so you need to leave them in there until everything is fully coated in paint and then you can pull them out um to, to address the second part of your question was really about like how does how does it get from hey we're at Darlington power reactor to i'm at a patient at a hospital we're really the very front end of the chain there so the targets are actually manufactured in Peterborough, Ontario, um, at the same facility that makes the fuel for Darlington and Pickering reactors. So it's a BWXT facility. Um, the targets are approximately three inches long and one inch in, in diameter. They're, I wish I had a little sample one I could carry around and show people because they're, they're really cool and pretty simple. Um, but we receive them in strings of eight. Well, obviously, so we put them in the reactor, we irradiate for their designated time, which is in the neighborhood of a week. Um, and then they come out and they go in a shipping container. Those shipping containers get put on the road to Ottawa. So BWXT Medical has a facility just outside of Ottawa in Canada, um, where then those the whole flask goes into a hot cell and gets opened. And then all of those 
um, targets are opened, and then there's radiochemistry process, which basically dissolves the solid metals. Um, and then that gets turned into a pharmacy product, which gets sent out to hospitals and is able to be used for patient care. So, so there's many, many steps that follow pulling targets out of the core um, that actually help to impact patient treatment. So what is Ontario's role in the global supply of these medical isotopes? I mean, that's a great question. The historic picture is that when NRU was in operation at Chalk River, um, they were a substantial producer of medical isotopes for the world. And when that reactor closed at the end of its life, um, in around 2016 is when they stopped producing medical isotopes. There definitely was a very large gap left in the marketplace. Here at Darlington, uh, we're looking obviously to produce Molly 99 um, and to become actually one of the dominant suppliers globally um, once that system comes fully online. Bruce Power has also launched a project uh, for Lutetium-177. They are um, partnered with, I believe it's ITM in Germany, uh, for Lutetium-177, which is primarily used in the treatment of prostate cancer, um, but also being explored for other metastatic cancers um, for their treatment. So they're, you know, overall in Ontario, based on the resources that we have, um, for reactors and available neutrons, we're, we're utilizing them quite well. And I think that program is going to continue to grow over the next five years. Just want to end off by uh, giving a big thank you uh, to you, Jennifer, for uh, for joining us today and really giving us a glimpse into your fascinating world of medical isotopes. Really excited to uh, keep updated on exciting projects that Laurentis has upcoming in the future. And also best of luck with these exciting projects. Well, thank you so much for having me. We're uh, we're always so excited to share our projects and what's going on, and and it's so cool to be um, seeing how nuclear can impact lives in so many positive ways. Now to go from inside the reactor core to inside the hospital. My next guest is Dr. David Laidley. Dr. Laidley is a practicing nuclear medicine physician based in London, Ontario, who also does research that is pushing this field toward new applications and new ways of finding and fighting disease. Hi, Dr. Laidley. Welcome to Climate Challengers. Uh, just want to start off with, you know, you introducing to us the way nuclear isotopes are used in diagnostics and treatments. Uh, what is the process and how does it work and why does it work? All right, great question. So uh, thank you for inviting me to participate today. You know, nuclear medicine and uh, nuclear isotopes are, uh, you know, fascinating in terms of how they work. So, I mean, uh, in, in, at the basic level, we're giving patients uh, radioactive materials, which are uh, usually given intravenously, um, uh, using the body's mechanisms, depending on how they're labeled, they have the ability to sort of uh, mirror or, or, or sort of uh, parallel the normal functions of the body or target specific tumors in the body to better highlight, uh, you know, disease processes or functional status of patients. So uh, at the basic level, we're kind of using the body's mechanisms to sort of image patients and, and sort of improve function in terms of uh, detection of disease in terms of heart disease or cancer, uh, renal problems or, 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 or uh, um, osseous disease. So, um, so in terms of how it works, I mean, there's different isotopes. Some of them have a, a diagnostic component. Um, 
So they're typically only used to image patients. They don't have any therapeutic benefit. Um, and we use these type of isotopes all the time um, to detect various disease processes. And then, of course, we have different isotopes that have other properties that have sort of a, a higher energy that can kill cancer cells. Um, and we often use different therapeutic isotopes um, in, in parallel with the sort of diagnostic. So uh, we, we often will scan patients uh, with a diagnostic isotope, and then we have a therapeutic pairing, and we're able to then introduce these uh, um, therapeutic isotopes for targeting specific cancers and tumor cells. So um, that's sort of the basics of how sort of diagnostic and therapeutic nuclear medicine works, and you know, happy to discuss things in further detail. Could you go into depth as to, you know, some people may, may regularly ask that, how are these medical isotopes uh, killing my cancer or how are they removing this cancer from my body? Could you explain the process in which these medical isotopes interface with the human body? Sure. So, so you know, depending on, again, the isotope we use, as I said, we kind of broadly put them in a diagnostic and therapeutic category. So the diagnostic ones have sort of this, uh, what we call gamma radiation that we were able to detect with, you know, not, not, uh, you know, hard to understand, but gamma cameras. So they have this uh, ability to detect this gamma radiation and then turn that into an image. So uh, on the therapeutic side, again, using the using these ability of, you know, having a specific type of drug which binds to a tumor labeled to an isotope, we're able to sort of deliver that uh, radiopharmaceutical into the patient. And then just because of, you know, uh, physiology, circulation in the blood, uh, affinity of these receptors to the radiopharmaceutical, they will bind to these tumors. Sometimes they'll be taken into the tumors. Uh, and these therapeutic isotopes have different types of radiation that admit, that they emit. So lutetium has um, uh, a different type of um, uh, beta emission, which is basically emission of an electron, which can target the DNA of a tumor. And as that radiation is being emitted a very short distance, it's interacting with those tumor cells and basically causing uh, single-strand DNA breaks. Uh, these DNA breaks are, you know, very difficult for tumors to, to repair. Uh, and then if any of these DNA breaks happen in normal tissue, you know, our bodies have this ability to sort of oftentimes repair these uh, damages uh, and, and save the normal tissue. Um, you know, and as, a, as another innovation in nuclear medicine and coming out of different reactors and, and facilities in Canada is another type of radiation called actinium. So this is a different type of radiation, which is like an alpha emitter. So this is basically emitting a very large particle with really high energy, very short distance. So again, they get bound to the tumor cells. Sometimes they get internalized into the tumor and then they emit their alpha particles. Uh, and and these, these type of radiation can produce what we call double-stranded DNA breaks. So these are very very lethal to tumor cells. Uh, and again, because of the very short distance, uh, we expect that the amount of uh, uh, damage to normal tissue will be very minimal. Um, so again, the beta emissions from the lutetium and the alpha emissions from products like actinium, um, causing these double-stranded DNA breaks and single-stranded DNA breaks are sort of the foundation of how these tumor, tumor uh, treating agents work. 
Okay, that's that's really that's that's quite fascinating, uh, Doctor Lely. So you kind of categorized medical isotopes into two categories. One is for diagnostics, and then the second one is for actually killing the cancer cells, right? Um, yeah. You know, in, in regards to the nuclear isotopes that are coming out of uh, the nuclear reactors here in Ontario, um, which ones can you point to uh, that are used extensively in the medical industry? So the, the, the big one that we would use in nuclear medicine for diagnostic work would be uh, technetium 99M. Uh, this comes from uh, molybdenum, which is basically uh, harvested from reactors and then put into what we call generators. And those generators are, are provided to nuclear medicine departments. So we basically would have these on site and then we, we would uh, basically take off some of that technetium 99M every day and use that for diagnostic purposes. Uh, that is kind of our workhorse for nuclear medicine. We use that in probably 100% of all nuclear medicine departments. Um, and it is uh, essentially the, the, the backbone of uh, diagnostic nuclear medicine. And then in terms of other isotopes that we get from reactors, uh, I-123 is another isotope that we get from reactors, which we often use for detection of thyroid problems or different types of malignancy. Um, and uh, in terms of therapeutic isotopes, uh, you know, the big one coming out of reactors right now would be like I-131, which we can use for treatment of um, uh, thyroid malignancies or labeling it to other um, radiopharmaceuticals to target different cancers. Uh, and lutetium-177 would be, I guess, the, the most, um, the, the, I guess, the newest kid on the block that we're sort of using now to treat cancers. We have a number of uh, uh, targets that we use to treat with lutetium-177. So I'd say those would be the sort of two uh, two or three big uh, isotopes that are being uh, harvested from reactors right now. So in regards to future uh, nuclear medicine and the potential to use isotopes to treat a wider variety of diseases, mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts on this? Like how, you know, are there other areas in medicine uh, and in specifically the human body where medical isotopes can be used to treat different diseases other than cancer? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, getting back to cancer for one sec, I mean, the biggest area that we're going to expect to see for, um, you know, treatment and diagnosis of patients coming, and this is probably coming in the next uh, three to six months, is going to be in the, in the area of prostate cancer. Uh, you know, we're expecting there to be a very pivotal Health Canada approval for treatment of uh, and diagnosis of prostate cancer with uh, lutetium PSMA. Uh, and this, this area, unfortunately, is a very large uh, burden of disease across uh, Canada for men. Uh, and, uh, you know, studies have shown that uh, this treatment is highly effective for the treatment of patients with prostate cancer. And, uh, and we are expecting, again, the approval to come within, you know, the next three to six months. So, you know, uh, uh, this is a like a tremendous patient population right now with non-met need, and we are expecting that to sort of be filled hopefully in the next few months. So again, going back to supply of lutetium products, um, having that reliable supply chain uh, for the the amount of patients unfortunately that have this disease is going to be uh, critical moving forward in the future. So um, you know this. Other isotopes can be sort of used for other diseases, breast cancer. Um, we use isotopes for diagnosis of cardiac disease. 
Um, so, you know, we kind of um, are involved in, say, many areas in, in the, you know, disease processes, be it oncology and, and non-oncological. Um, so there's always new innovations coming, but I would say the prostate area with the uh, PET agents uh, that we're using now for PSMA and then lutetium agents for the treatment, this is going to be a huge part of our practice uh, in, in the coming years. Well, I, I think this was a really fun conversation. I learned a lot personally. I think I think this is uh, this is some incredible research uh, and ongoing work that you're you're doing, Doctor Lately. So, really want to take the time to thank you for joining us on this episode for the Climate Challengers. Thank you so much, uh, Doctor Lately. Uh, really appreciate your time. Um, and is there any other last words you'd like to uh, say on the podcast for our listeners? Well, you know, I'm just excited about the future of nuclear medicine and, you know, the more partnership we can have with our, uh, you know, nuclear medicine, uh, nuclear reactors, nuclear medicine programs. Um, you know, I think the more collaboration we have together, uh, you know, will potentially help try to solve some of the uh, health issues, you know, uh, affecting our, 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 our patients across Canada. Thank you so much, Dr. Laidley. Really appreciate your time, especially during this busy time. You know, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are also very appreciative and uh, I hope you have a nice day. I want to thank Jennifer Chapin and Dr. David Laidley for joining us on this episode of The Climate Challengers and thank you for listening. Ontario's nuclear power reactors have obvious climate benefits, generating clean emissions-free power around the clock. But it is fascinating to learn about other less obvious benefits of nuclear power and the ways in which Ontario is a leader and innovator in using nuclear byproducts to diagnose diseases and save lives. To learn more about this topic, please check out our website, climatechallengers.com. Until next time, this is Osama Beg.